Well, hey, welcome to Northridge Church and welcome home to each and every one of you. And if you got your Bibles, I'd encourage you, your device, whatever you got, go ahead and turn to Psalms chapter one. It's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, we're going to spend the majority of our time there. You can jump into the Northridge Church app and you can take notes along uh, this morning. You know, we've been talking about change. In a season in January, we are all kind of hoping and believing and, and trying our best to achieve change in our life. But change is one of those things that it's hard, it's difficult, it's fleeting, and even if we get a taste of it, it seems like it eventually escapes us. And so in this series, Habits for Change, over the last you know, couple weeks and seven weeks in this series, we're, we're talking about habits that aren't going to change us, they're going to train us to be godly. And when we become godly men and godly women, we change. And I love the progression of how change works in our life. I think uh, Ralph Emerson says it beautifully. He says, sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. And what he's talking about here is how change not only begins, but how it continues and how you hold on to change throughout your life. But here's what's crazy about change. Humanity changes pretty regularly. You and I, were constantly changing almost every single day, but the question is, is, is that the change that you actually desire in your life? Is it the change you really want? Because we're often changed by what we consume or what we allow into our lives. That's just the truth of, of life. What we allow in our head, in our hearts, changes us. It puts us in a posture to change, a direction of change. Now let's think about that statement for a second. The things we allow in and consume change us. Think about the people in your life. Right? We talked about this last week. One of the habits we need in our lives is biblical community. People surrounding us to push us towards the cross, not away from it. And, and just think about how many people in your life have impacted you, have changed you. Here's what I know. If you hang around Bills fans long enough, you might become one. And after what happened last week, I'm thinking about it. I'm just saying. Big game today, okay? <laughs> yeah, I told somebody in, in the lobby, I'll probably regret saying this out loud, but if the Bills make it the Super Bowl, they have some crazy pants I'm going to preach in, okay? So you heard it first. <laughs> you hang around healthy people long enough, people who eat healthy, who work out regularly, you're probably gonna come a little more health conscious. It might change you. Who you date and interact with in intimate relationships, what these things do is they posture your life in a direction to change. But the question is, is that the direction you wanna change in? Think about the climate your body is in. You know, many of you know this, my wife and I and our family, we lived in Georgia for 10 years, and it's right about this time of year, January, February, where I'm like, oh, Georgia, Georgia, right, because it's cold. And I remember when we lived in Georgia, and we would come back uh, home to visit family during the holidays, and it was freezing in the Rochester area, that, that cold would like penetrate my bones, and, and, and it was so cold. But after living in, in Rochester for six years, the cold doesn't seem to bother me anymore. Because what you're surrounded by changes you. Think about the content that you consume. 
The books that you read, the shows that you watch, the news you interact with, the music you listen to. You see, we do this daily, and I think what we forget so many times is that stuff is slowly seeping into our minds and moving to our heart, and eventually, it'll change you. And so as we approach Psalms chapter one, I wanna ask you this question. This question I want you to think about all morning long. Are the sources of what you are consuming producing the change you desire? What you are surrounding yourself with, what you're allowing to take space in your mind, is that producing the man and the woman you actually want to be? And it's with that question we're gonna jump into Psalms chapter one. Let me give you a little background on the book. The, the, the book of Psalms, there's hundreds of them. It's a book of, of worship, really. Many of these were not just poetry, but they would actually sing these in adoration, in lament, in mourning, in suffering, and in joy to, back to God. They're written by guys like Moses and David and many different authors. And the example of Psalms chapter one is, is a Psalms of, of wisdom, a Psalm of wisdom. And what that means is it's full of exhortations, very practical steps on how you and I can live a wise life. And so with that in mind, Psalms chapter one, verse one, he says this, blessed, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Now here the author of Psalms chapter one, he, he really piques our interest because the first like beginning, he says, blessed is the one. So he's, he's kind of drawing up this recipe. If you desire to be blessed by God, here's what you need to do. Now, I don't know anybody who doesn't want to be blessed by God. Isn't that what we're kind of after in Christianity, right? We want God's blessing over our life. Many people pray for it. And here the author of Psalms says, hey, blessed is the one. And he starts by saying, here's some things you shouldn't do if you want to be blessed by God. He says, you shouldn't or don't walk in the way of wicked, with the wicked people. He says, don't stand in the way of sinners and don't sit in the company of mockers. Now, it's interesting, these are all things that you allow into your life. These are all choices you make that surround you and consume, right? Like, hey, don't, don't hang out with wicked people and expect God to bless you. Don't sit in the way of, of mockers and don't stand in, in the company of sinners and expect God to somehow shower his blessings upon you. These are all things we allow into our life. And so the author says, hey, if you want God to bless you, stay away from these things. And then in verse two, he transitions to what we should do. He says, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. So here the author of Psalms says, you, you should do two things. You should delight and you should meditate on the law of the Lord or God's word or the Bible. He says we should learn to delight and meditate on God's word. And so let's, let's talk about these two words. Let's start with delight. It's the obvious one. It's the one I think we don't struggle with at all. It's, it's to take pleasure in something. Right? When you delight in something, you find this deep sense of satisfaction. You take pleasure in it. And there's so many things in our life today that we delight in. So many things that we interact with regularly that we take pleasure in, like our family. Our kids, our grandkids, our brothers and our sisters, our friends. There's things we delight in like vacations to the beach or to the lake or to the ski slopes or wherever you go. 
Hobbies like watching football and, and sports and shopping and hunting, things that bring pleasure to our life. That, that coffee shop that you love that makes that best cup of coffee you delight in. Gardening in the summer and watching plants grow. The list goes on and on of things that in our culture and in our lives we delight in. For me, it's food. Anybody with me? I just love me some good food. And, And you know what I love? I love to go to a restaurant that takes food that don't belong together and somehow make them live in harmony. You know, like where you eat, you take a bite and it's like fireworks in your mouth. You're just like, this is amazing. And it's things you couldn't ever dream of at home. I love food. Anybody hungry yet? It's all right. I just got about an hour and a half left and we'll get to lunch. And here's what the author is getting at. He says, we have to learn to find pleasure in reading God's word. Right? That is what we are supposed to do. Like God's love letter to us should bring pleasure and satisfaction to our lives. So let me pause here and let me ask you this question. Honestly, do you find pleasure in reading the Bible? Like for a second, well, let that sink in. Because I think for many Christians, Reading the Bible is is an obligation, it's a duty, it's not something we love. In fact, reading the Bible for many Christians is frustrating, and so some of us, we just don't do it. The author says you want to be blessed by God, you got to learn to delight in his word. The other word he says is meditate. Now, meditate is a word that is not really a biblical principle anymore, it's become more of a yoga instruction. And what's interesting is the differences in the ways our culture views meditation. Because, you know, if, if you ever do yoga, meditation is clearing your mind. It's, it's getting rid of all the stress and the worry and everything in your life and, and clearing it so you can think clearly. But the biblical definition of meditation is actually filling your mind. To meditate on something means you're going to put something in your head and you're going to turn it in your mind over and over again. In, in, in the Hebrew here, it, it, the word actually refers to a lion chewing on meat over and over and over again so that meat breaks down and is edible. Let me give you an example of what this would look like to meditate on something. I remember in college, I, I played basketball. And there were times where we would have a game that would go back and forth, four quarters of like game scores changing. It was a nail biter. And we would go back and forth and back and forth. And, and, and a lot of times we would lose those games. And it was frustrating. And I remember after the game, I would be ticked, I'd be mad, and I'd go grab a shower, and I'd, I'd go to bed. And all night long, you know what I would do? I would sit there and I would replay the game in my head. And I would think about the turnovers that I had. I would think about the shots that I missed. And what I would do is I would try to think about all the ways if I did just something differently, maybe it would change the outcome. And what that is, is that's meditation. It's turning something over and over again in your head. And here's what the author says. We should take pleasure in God's word, but God's word is supposed to actually take up space in our minds day and night. Right? We are supposed to turn and think about the pages of the Bible, the words of the Bible, over and over again daily. So again, let me ask you another question. Is there even space in your mind for God's word? 
right? With all the worry and fear and anxiety that fills our minds, does God and his word have any room? With all the stress of our lives of raising kids, trying to find your spouse, trying to graduate school or college, and all the the, the chaos that life brings, is there really any space for God's word to kind of like permeate our minds? Seems like they're pretty full already. And what happens is the author says, if you want to be blessed by God, stay away from these things. Don't surround yourself by these things, but delight and meditate on God's law. And then he describes, when you do that, here's what happens. Psalms verse 1, verse 3, he says, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And so the author of Psalm describes this person. It says, you're like a tree. And there's two things about this tree you need to know about this. First of all, this tree is firmly planted. And the reason why we know it's firmly planted is because it's planted next to its life source, streams of water. And so when, when a tree has water, it grows deep roots. And so this person who has deep roots, guess what happens to them? When life throws them a curveball, when things happen in life that they didn't plan for, when difficulties comes, when the storm rages in life and the wind blows on you, that tree doesn't move because it's firmly planted. And so no matter what comes in life, they are firmly planted. The second thing about this tree is it's producing fruit, right? It's actually functioning the way it should be. And and what I love about this illustration is we live in New York. And can I just say this out loud? New York has some of the best fruit-producing trees anywhere. Like fall-time New York apples, there is really nothing that compares to it. Can I get an amen? Amen. And I love in, in, in the fall time, I love getting my family and walking through the orchards and grabbing apples and biting into that crisp but sweet and sour apple. I love taking them home and making like apple dumplings and apple pie. Is anybody with me? Okay, I'm just, I'm just making sure because first service I heard a couple grunts and like, oh yeah. Okay, so I just making sure you're really, okay, cool, awesome. But you know what's really annoying? A tree that's supposed to produce fruit, and it doesn't. That can be really frustrating, because when we moved to to the the Rochester area, um, I had this brilliant idea, because I loved all the apple trees, and I was like, babe, we we should plant some apple trees in our backyard. And so I got like three or four, and I was like, this is gonna be awesome. You know, we're gonna put, put a little orchard there and I'm gonna teach my kids, like look, they flower and then they turn into apples and we're gonna go pick all these apples and we're gonna eat them. We're gonna take pictures and put it on Instagram. It's gonna be amazing, kids. Yo, I haven't seen one dang apple from those trees. I'm about to get my chainsaw out and start over. Because you know what's really annoying? A tree that's supposed to produce fruit that doesn't. You know what's also sad? A Christian that's supposed to produce fruit and doesn't. And right, a healthy follower of God who delights in God's word and who meditates on it produces fruit. That's called the fruit of the spirit. And when you do those things, he says, guess what? You'll grow in love and you'll grow in peace. You'll grow in self-control and you'll grow in patience. Because what? Because God's word is changing you. 
But then he warns us. He says, all these things, being blessed by God, he says, but guess what? Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Remember the tree that's firmly planted? When you don't meditate on God's word and bad things happen, guess what happens? The wind usually takes you. You walk away from God and you blame him because why? Because you weren't a healthy tree. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. And so here the author of Psalms kind of sums it up. He says, when you surround yourself with wicked things, it will posture your life to change in that direction. It's destruction. It will ruin you. But the Lord watches out over those who desire a righteous life. And so let me ask you again. The things that you are consuming, the things that you're surrounding yourself with, are they producing the change you want in your life? And if they're not, if you're saying, man, Drew, I, I want to change, but I don't know where to begin. I don't know how to start. Well, I think we have to evaluate. Today, when we go home, I think we need to look hard into, our, into the mirror and say, man, is this who I want to be? And how do I want to be different in 2023? And the way we do that is we evaluate two things. The first one is we evaluate the sources of our consumption. Where do you go for truth? When you're in need, for answers, when you have decisions to make, where are you going for those answers? What are you allowing into your life and to take up space in your head and your heart? You know, I'm amazed at some of the shows that Christians will watch. I'm amazed at some of the books that Christians will read. I'm amazed at the, some of the things that we will allow to seep into our head and what we don't realize and what we don't see is it changes us. And the question is, is it for the better? What are we consuming? What are the sources we're allowing in? We need to evaluate that. We need to take a good hard look at our Netflix history, our search history and say, is this going to change me in a righteous way? But then secondly, we need to evaluate the time we spend consuming them. So I did a little research, uh, and I, I was kind of flabbergasted by some of these results. I guess they didn't surprise me, but it's just sad when you add up the numbers. The average American, the average American spends 3.1 hours watching TV a day. 3.1 hours. The average American, on top of that, spends two and a half hours on social media a day. 80% of Americans, when they wake up, in the first 10 minutes of waking, they reach for their phone to check the things they love. Think about that for a second. If we just took an hour, just one hour of the 5.6 that we watch TV and surf on meaningless things and dove into something meaningful, how much we would change. If we were just willing to delight and meditate on God's word. And it's crazy because I look at these numbers and they're, they're staggering to me. And do you know what I do as a parent so much of, of my mornings and my afternoons is trying to limit my kids' screen time? Because I'm convinced that Joelle would watch TV all day, every day if I would let her. And I don't think she would get bored. She's like, yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> and yet, we spend so much time as parents and grandparents trying to limit that, but when it comes to our life, are we limiting it, limiting it at our own? 
Are we spending three and a half hours watching TV a day? Right, what we, we are consuming and how much time we are spending it is changing us. And what needs to happen is we need to create a habit, right? The series is all about the right habits that train us to be godly. And I believe we need the habit of consuming God's word. We need the habit of spending time daily, consistently reading the most powerful book ever given to humanity. Do you believe that? Honestly. Do you believe that the Bible will actually change your life? Do you realize that people gave up their lives recording the Bible so you could have access to its power? There was a group of people back in the days who literally, that was their job, recording the scriptures, writing them down because people tried to destroy it. But let me tell you, the word of God can't be destroyed. It's eternal and it will change you today. And we need that habit in our life. And I told you in this series, I was going to challenge you. And you might get overwhelmed with all the challenges I give you through this series. I'm sorry, but I'm not really that sorry. And so here's what I would like our church to do. I'd like us to go on a 52-day journey where we begin to develop the habit of reading God's word. And so you know where to go. I want.info if you want to be a part of that. If you call Northridge Church home, I'm asking you to do that. Where I think it would be really cool. Where How powerful will it be if you get thousands of people for 52 days chewing and thinking about God's word? And so we're already in 40 days of prayer. We're already in the habit of meeting with our community group, right? So let's add this to it. And here's what's great. While you pray, pray the scriptures back to God. And so for 52 days, we're going to go after this. You can sign up at Iwant.info. Let me know you're going to join this journey. And here's two things I want to happen during these 52 days. Is the first one is I want you to commit to meditate on God's word. Right? I, I think it would be easy for us to check that religious robot button. Right? Say, okay, Drew said it, so I'm going to do it. And I'll try 52 days of reading God's word. And you just do it because you, you, you go through the motions. But I, I, what I want is when you, when you read God's word, I want God's word to go with you to work. I want God's word to go with you in your dorm room. I want God's word to go with you with your, your kids in, in that classroom, wherever it is. I want you to think about what you read. I want it to permeate in your soul and your heart and your mind. Like, look what Joshua says. This is amazing to me. Joshua chapter one, he says this. Keep this book of law Always, that's not dramatic, that's not emphasis, that's just who we should be. Always on your lips. That we would be a people that are always ready just to speak scripture over people and give people godly advice, that it would sit on our tongues and our lips always, meditate on it day and night. Why would we do that? Like, honestly, that sounds a little bit dramatic. It sounds like, wow, that's a lot. Why? He, look what he says. He says, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Can I tell you the point of opening God's word is not to become really smart Christians or really knowledgeable Christians. It's so that we would live out what God has said for us to live out, that it would change the way we make decisions and change the way we go to work and change the way we go to school that we would actually do what God's word says. And guess what? Look what God promises. He says, when you do what I say, you will be prosperous and successful. 
Now again, this isn't prosperity gospel. Like I'm not telling you you're gonna be rich when you read God's word. I'm not telling you today your life's gonna be perfect because you read God's word, but I will bank on the truth of scripture that when you do what God says, you'll have purpose and you'll have meaning and you'll be successful and he will prosper you in whichever way he decides. And so I won't lie to you, that's the truth of scripture. But here's what I know, 52 days, right? That's a long time. And here's my bet, that some of you, you're gonna sign up, say I'm gonna do it, and about seven days in, you're gonna get tired and frustrated. Because the Bible is complicated. The Bible's frustrating. And sometimes it's hard to understand the, the words of the Bible. And you can have all the right motives, the right heart, and you can go to read God's word and you can read the passage and you can be like, what the world is going on here? I have no clue how this is gonna impact my life. I don't even know what half those words mean. And guess what happens usually? We, we, we try that and for seven days, around seven days, maybe we get to 10 or 14 and we just go frustrated because we don't see any change in our life and we don't understand what God is saying to us. And you know what we do? We just kind of throw in the towel. I'm just going to give up. This isn't doing anything anyway. It's just causing frustration in my life. But can I ask you this question for those of you who've been there and done that? How many things in your life that have been worth anything, how many things in your life that hold great value came to you instantly? How many things in your life that have great value that you didn't have to work hard to get? Because the truth is, Many of us, that's when we give up, and I think that's when God wants us to break through. Where we push through and we ask our questions, and when we don't understand, we get in a group and we say, hey, can someone help me? We ask a pastor, because I believe in those moments, that is the enemy's greatest tactic to be like, you don't understand it, you don't get it, because he knows the power behind it. And he holds you back from it. You know, I'm trying to teach my daughter this right now. Joelle, through her homeschool group, uh, we're learning to, to ski. And so the last couple of Fridays, we've been on the ski slopes, and I'm trying to teach my daughter, Joelle, how to ski, and it's, it's a journey. It's been like minus two out there, and we just hit the snow quite a bit. And Joelle thinks, you know, when we started, she's like, yeah, I'm going to be the best skier on the hill. I'm ready. Let's go do this. And I'm like, oh, no, we're in trouble. And so this last Friday, just a couple days ago, we were, we were out skiing, and she's getting better and better, but she gets frustrated. About the afternoon, around 2 o'clock in, in the day, she gets tired of falling. She gets tired of not being the skier that she wants, and she looks at me, and she's that I'm done. I'm over this. Can we just go into the, the lobby and, and drink hot chocolate? I'm like, that sounds pretty good, actually. <laughs> and I look at my little girl, and I, I'm like, Joelle, I won't let you do that. Because here's what I know. I know if you push through these moments right now and you learn to ski, you are going to love it. And here's what I want to just tell you today, that when you go on this journey to read God's word and you get into those moments where you don't understand, those moments where you're frustrated because you're not seeing life change, I'm telling you, God's blessing is right around the corner. Push through, keep reading, keep asking your questions and commit commit to it, to meditate on it, and I promise the Bible says that God's word never returns void. It will work in you. And so commit to meditate on it. Secondly, learn to delight in God's word. See, here's what I believe with my whole heart, is if you build this habit in your life, what starts as a duty 
What starts as an obligation over time will become a pleasure. Where you won't wake up in the morning or in the evening be like, I gotta read God's word, I'm tired. You will hunger for it. You will desire it because you will see what it's producing in your marriage. You will see what it's producing in your heart. You will see how it's changing you for the better. And you will see how alive and active this Bible really is. And so let me ask you this. Are you achieving the change that you want to see? And if you're not, why not try something different? Why not engage in God's word? And let me show you how it works. You see, because if you think about your life, right? if nothing influenced our life at all, it would look similar to this vase. Clear, see right through it. In life, many things come in and, and begin to change it and, 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 and impact it. And here's what I want us to understand about God's word. Here's what we do oftentimes. We hear a message like this and we're like, okay, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna read God's word. And so tomorrow morning, you're gonna, you're gonna go and you're gonna, you're gonna read the Bible. And you're gonna pull back and you're gonna be like, hmm. Yeah, I, I don't see any change, Drew. Okay, so you're like, okay, whatever. I'll go back tomorrow. I'll go back the next day, seven days later. What's weird is, you know, the Bible says it never returns void, but that looks pretty void to me. Like, I feel like I got worse, actually. And now I'm angry and mad because I feel like God's a liar. And this is what happens to so many of us, is right there, we've read God's word and we haven't seen much change. But here's my promise to you, and the reason I promise this to you is because I believe every word of that book. You see, when you commit to God's word, and you read it, and you read it, it slowly seeps in. And over six months, over a year, you'll begin to see, wow, I'm becoming a better father, a better wife, a better student. There's things changing in me that I didn't even know I needed changed. And what happens over the, the course of God's word, it's slowly, it's not a dramatic, immediate but when you push through and when you ask your questions and when you do what God says, you'll change. And here's what I know about this. If you leave that in there, the darker it will get. I told you I live in Georgia for 10 years and I learned something about sweet tea. The best sweet tea is number one, the tea with the most sugar and the tea that has been seeping the longest because it has the most flavor. And that's the truth about God's word. When you allow it to seep into your life, it will slowly change every area of your life. But you have to be willing to press through. You have to be willing not to give up and to create a habit where the word of God changes you. Let's pray together. God, I'm thankful today that there were men and women thousands of years ago who were so obsessed with your word that they would give up their life so that it could sit on our shelves today. 
God, there is no book like the Bible. There's no book that we can read and that can change not just our life here on earth, but change our eternity. And so God, we read so many books on leadership, on business, on how to find the right spouse. We we read so many books in our culture today, but may the book that holds the most value in our lives, may the book that, that gets the most pages turned in it this year in our life, may it be your book. May it be your word, God. May we grow a hunger for it. May we delight in it, and may it take up space in our head and our hearts. And I believe if we do that, God, that at the end of 2023, in the end of 2022, we will look different because of it. And so today, as we start 52 days of reading it, I pray that we would commit to it and we would delight in it. In your name we pray, amen.